Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? So good to see you, great to be back. So about seven months ago, my family and I loaded up a moving truck, moved to California, the promised land. Uh, One of our daughters thought we were moving to Disneyland. I said, I promise you we're not moving to Disneyland. Well, can we go there every week? And I was like, no way, I can't take that. Can we go there often? Yes, absolutely, we can go there often. So that was good enough for her, and uh, we're, we're happy. Uh, just, just by way of, of a couple little notes, um, so many of you faithfully prayed for our daughter, Kate, for three and a half years. Uh, most of that, we were here as she was fighting a brain tumor. Since we've been in California, we have had two good MRI scans, clean scans. Praise God. So she continues to do so well and make improvements in just strength and just at school she's doing phenomenal. Our other two are doing great. Uh, The church that, that we are now a part of, Hillside Community Church, has embraced us. The transition has been so good. And so many of you have prayed faithfully for us, and I just want to say thank you so much for praying, uh, for being there for us, supporting us, and um, yeah, it's just been unbelievable. It's so good to be back at Cornerstone, to be with you guys during this season. That As we're talking about Advent conspiracy, uh, we're doing this series at, at our church, and we're a part of it. Uh, today, they're doing the third week of that series. I'm glad to be with you guys for that, but as I've been studying and thinking about this idea of Advent conspiracy, I decided to do a little research to just see in our culture, what is Christmas even all about? And is there any way as a, as a dad of young kids that I can teach my children what Christmas is all about? So I begin to search with the movies that we watch this time of year. Is that going to lead us to understand what Christmas is all about? So like, what are some of the movies you watch this time of year? Polar Express. Elf. Christmas Story. So we've had family movie night twice in the past two weeks. Elf was week one. The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version, was week two. And I'm really struggling because I'm not so sure my kids are going to find out what the true meaning of Christmas is through that. I did a Google search for Christmas songs, and I found a site that said the 100 most popular Christmas songs in history. Now, I think the site lies, and I just think that reinforces not everything you find on the internet is true, but I grouped the songs into categories. So there was the Santa category that said Christmas was about this. There was Santa Claus is coming to town, Santa baby, Santa Claus is watching you, my personal favorite, donde esta Santa Claus, (laughs) and then I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Thought, okay, that's not helping me at all. There was the bells category, silver bells, jingle bells, jingle bell rock. There was the animal category, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, run, run, Rudolph. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. And then there was this unique, Dominic the Italian Christmas donkey. (laughs) Honestly, has anyone ever sung Dominic the Italian Christmas donkey? Anyone? Okay, one, two, not many of us. And I just realized that if we're not strategic in this time of year in reminding ourselves what it's all about, if we're not strategic in in, in equipping our children to understand what this season is all about, they may miss 
They may miss Christ in the midst of Christmas. They may miss what really is the reason that we're celebrating that we have joy in a season like this. So I need you to do an exercise with me real quick. This is like a pop quiz. You'll have two seconds to think about both of these questions. Ready? Okay, here's the first question. What is your favorite Christmas memory ever? Go, two, one. Okay, stop thinking. How many of you have that memory in your mind right now? Okay, for, for those of you who have a memory, it, something popped up. Is that memory related to uh, doing things with people, family, friends? Is it, raise your hand, something like that. Okay, how many of you that memory is related to like an activity, somewhere you went, a, a place you went, something like that? Okay, how many of you that memory was related to a specific gift you got at some point? Look how few hands. Every time I've done this, hands go up. It's about memories. Hands go up, it's about relationships. And I say, what about the presence? But in the season and in the moment of every year, it feels like Christmas is all about stuff and all about gifts. But in hindsight, it's not about gifts. We don't remember those things that much. So why in the moment do we make it about that? Second question, okay, what is your favorite gift you got last Christmas? One, two, go. Okay, you have it? Do you have a gift in mind? How many of you remember something you got last Christmas? All right, I don't have a clue. Most of us are like, last Christmas. I know I got stuff, but what is that stuff? But my kids this year, I mean, their wish list is four pages, single space, front and back, lay it out there. We had to go buy another ream of paper just to get it, the list taken care of. But three months from now, they'll be like, what did I get for Christmas? Oh, that's old stuff. Those are old toys. I don't play with those anymore. So even our kids understand that the the gifts come and go, the memories of the gifts come and go, but Christmas is so much more the newer, bigger, better, and figuring that out. And so that's why years ago, churches came together and came up with this idea called Advent Conspiracy. Advent referring to the coming of our Lord, remembering that this season is all about that. But then the idea of conspiracy is the idea of conspiring together, making a plan together. Here, conspiracies never happen without a plan. And they said, what if we came together and we said in a season where our whole entire society is all about what we can get, it's just saturated with consumerism, what if we had a plan, what if we conspired together to say, let's make this year different? Conspiracies never happen without a plan, but number two, they never happen without a reason. They never happen without a motivation. And so the motivation was in a season like this, what if we said, we want to worship fully? And that's why Pastor Tim, as he kicked it off last week, talked about this idea of worshiping fully. And and, and this concept of an Advent conspiracy is saying, let's turn Christmas upside down. Let's make Christmas all about Christ and see what kind of effects that has on every relationship, every activity, on everything that we do. And and this is not a call to to stop doing stuff. It's not a call to stop shopping, stop going to holiday parties, stop putting up lights. It's a call to say, in everything we do in a season like this, what if we did it for a different reason? What if we had a different motivation? What if we had a different attitude as we went through this season? And it was an attitude that wanted to honor Christ. Worship fully in this season. What kind of a difference would that make in our lives? So if you have your Bibles, grab them. Turn to Luke chapter two. And and I wanna explain something. If you're newer to this church thing, to Jesus, to the Christmas story, I want you to just think about something for a second. 
In your Bible, you have an Old Testament and a New Testament. The New Testament begins with four books. They're called Gospels. They are stories of Jesus while he's here on earth. Only two of those, Matthew and Luke, deal with the details of the birth of Jesus. Now, if you're looking in your Bible between Old Testament and New Testament, you could easily think that it's just one story, nonstop, Old Testament stops, next week, New Testament picks up. But here's the reality. When the Old Testament ended and God stopped speaking to his prophets, there was a period of some 400 years of absolute silence. God wasn't speaking. Miracles weren't happening. Prophets weren't prophesying. There was a famine of the word of God. And so in the beginning of the Gospels, there's an angel who comes sent by God and he begins to announce good news and breaks the silence and breaks this period where God has not been speaking to break it with incredibly good news. And you have the story that this angel first goes to Mary's kinfolk. She goes to her family to say to Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby and that baby's going to be John the Baptist and John the Baptist his whole entire life is sort of paving the way for Jesus. And then that same angel comes to Mary and Pastor Tim talked about that a little bit last week. That, that angel says, Mary, I, I need to tell you some really, really good news. You're going to have a baby. And Mary says, do what? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've not done? I'm gonna have a baby. And he says, you're, you're gonna have a baby. And, and God's going to do all of the work. God's going to supernaturally give you a baby. And that baby Name him Jesus. It says because Jesus, he's going to save his people from their sins. That name literally means salvation. So this silence that has been going on for 400 years, it's broken because Jesus is coming to save his people from their sins. He says, secondly, he's going to be great. He's going to be son of the most high. He's going to rule on the throne of his father, David. He's going to reign forever. And he says, this is the greatest news the world has ever heard. Worship him. He says, here's the news that's coming into this world and, and, and the angel makes this declaration and Mary responds and says, yes, God. Yes, God, or to the angel, yes, to God's word. Whatever God says, whatever God wants for me, I will do it. And then she's, she gives a song. That's the remainder of Luke chapter one. Luke chapter two, the story picks up. And in verse one, in those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So, so real quick before we go any further, the, the story is just going like this, that, that there's a census that's going to be taken. The, the one who is leading, the president, the emperor, whoever, the king, this guy, Caesar Augustus, wants a census and like any good leader, the census was for the purpose of what? Taxation. Wanted to get some more money. And so this guy, Caesar Augustus, who does this is no normal ruler, no average ruler. We're told that Caesar is a term that means king, emperor, pharaoh. Augustus, it's a name given to him. And it means revered one, honored one, majestic one. So it's, this is our leader, the revered one, our leader, the honored one. He was a brilliant man, a formidable ruler. He's the guy, if you remember in your history books, that created the Pax Romana. And Pax was spreading all over the known world at that time. And he was so remarkable that the people of his day gave him a nickname. 
We found it, archaeologists, I didn't find it, archaeologists found it. Inscribed in stone, and here's, here's his title, they gave him, the savior of the world. Because they were looking to this leader, they were looking to this king to bring them peace like he had all over the world. They were hoping he would fulfill their hopes and their dreams. So the savior of the world was ruling and reigning at the same time, the real savior of the world was coming on the scene. Verse four. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house in the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So you know this part of the story, but, but Mary, this young teenage girl most likely, and Joseph, this guy that may not have been a lot older, they received the word from the angel. Joseph receives a word from the angel as well that this is what God is doing. They're betrothed, so it's, it's not just engagement, it's beyond engagement. It's a legal binding kind of thing. But it says these two no-name people, there's nothing special about them other than God chose them. From these two no-name places, there was nothing Nothing about those places they were from. It's like saying you're from Maricopa. I mean, the middle of nowhere. Just kidding if you live in Maricopa. <laughs> She's saying there's nothing special about these two people, nothing special about the place they're from other than this. God's called them. God has a plan. And they both said, yes, God, whatever you want, we'll follow and so she's expecting a child. Verse six, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now here's what strikes us about this story. The true savior of the world, the one who the angel had just announced, his name will be Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He will be great. He will rule and reign forever. This kind of savior, this kind of king comes in the most humble of circumstances. There's no exaggeration. There's no over the top. There's no big budget kind of hotel. There's not even any room for them in the end. And the whole point of the story, the whole thing that is trying to be communicated here is that Jesus does things a little bit differently. Jesus doesn't come needing the attention. He doesn't come calling for the attention. He doesn't come to put on a show. He says, come to worship me. And so God's plan and God's ways are a little bit different than ours. And so when we read a Christmas story, I don't know about you, but I'm always struck by the simplicity of the story. And I'm struck that God could have done this in any way possible. And the true King of kings and Lord of lords, the true savior of the world was coming to the earth and very few people even noticed because in their culture, they were busy doing other things. In their culture, they were looking for someone else to save them, someone else to bring hope or joy and peace. And all the while, in a manger is a baby who is the only one who can bring hope, the only one who can bring true and lasting joy, and the only one who can bring the peace that our souls desperately long for. So this is how Jesus begins. This is how the story of Jesus coming to the earth begins. So simply, so humbly. No consumerism, no marketing plan to say, how do we announce the birth of this baby? A star, hmm, 
Will they even notice? But see, we can't miss in the simplicity and think just because it's humble that it's unimportant. If you'll take your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter four, and and we're gonna stay here for a while. I'm sorry, first Philippians chapter two. And, And just say that even in the coming humbly, even in the coming simply, there was a message that God was communicating to us that even in a season like this of Christmas, we can learn from, we can be challenged by, we can say, what does it mean for my life? To have an Advent conspiracy take root for the humble Christ to become a reality in my life this year. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, and this is just who Jesus is. This is one of the first songs ever written by the early church that they would sing to tell about Jesus. And it says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That means he came as a baby. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what that's saying is Christmas isn't just about a cradle. Christmas is about a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's something special, there's something unique about this baby in a manger that should inform our lives that should cause us to think differently, cause us to live differently. And if we ever really grasp who he is and the implications on our life, things begin to change. Turn just a couple chapters over to Philippians chapter four. And I just wonder, when you think about our culture and our society in a time called Christmas, and I know some people wanna call it the holidays, but let's just say in a season called Christmas, What would we be known for? What would Christmas be known for? There's stats that tell us, and the stats that are used in Advent Conspiracy are a few years old, but the ones they use are every Christmas in America, we spend $450 billion on Christmas. $450 billion. We spend it, we accrue debt, so much so that a survey was done two weeks ago by Think Finance, and in that survey, they asked people, what are you excited about, not excited about the holidays? And 45% of the people who were surveyed, 45% said, I wish we could skip Christmas. I wish we could skip over it. The pressure's too much, the money's too much, I'm worried about my finances, I'm worried about the debt that I'm gonna have, and I'm still gonna be paying it in January and February. I wish I could skip Christmas. So do our spending habits reveal a little bit about us? When when we we live in an economy that we spend 450 billion on Christmas, but the LA Times asked a question a couple years ago, how much would it cost to end world hunger? And they, in an article said, the United Nations had estimated it would cost at least 30 billion a year to solve the food crisis in the world to solve the issue of hunger for 862 million people, it would cost 30 billion a year. And we in our country spend 450 billion just on Christmas. Does does that reveal something about us? 
And I'm just as guilty as the next. I mean, I'm flying over here the other day with the SkyMall catalog thinking, ooh, I never knew you could have a dog kennel for a bedside table. That would be so nice. Like, I wouldn't even have to get up and put the dog to bed at night. I mean, I could just reach down, let him in. I never knew I needed one of those. I need a dog kennel bedside table. Where's my credit card? Couldn't wait to get off the airplane. You just flip through and you're like, we were going to the mall the other day and I'm usually pretty happy with my clothes, my shoes, my watches, my sunglasses, my hats, etc. until I go to the mall and I'm like, I never knew I needed that. Perfect. But it's easy in a season like this to get swept up and say, no, 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 just a little bit more. I just need the newest, bigger, better, And if we're not careful, we fall prey to the consumerism that is pervasive in our culture and we miss what God really wants to do in a season like this in our hearts. So just in the time that I have left, I just wanna give you four challenges that I think we can find in Philippians that, that as Paul was processing who Jesus is, who this one who humbled himself, even to death on a cross, who he was and this baby who was on a cradle that died on a cross, and his implications for our lives. So Philippians chapter four, starting reading in verse four. Here's a few things Paul says to us. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Get that part, with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think here's the first thing Paul would say. If you want to fight consumerism, if you want to fight to to get this Advent conspiracy idea right in your own life, I think Paul would say this first. Be grateful. Be grateful. And if you just, let's just summarize what Paul said in those verses. He says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. If you're anxious, then, then you can Come before God with prayer and you can pray to God, but he he qualifies it. He says you can pray with thanksgiving. You can pray and let your request be known. And if you'll do this, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart. So Paul says, if you're anxious, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody anxious? If you need peace, anybody lack peace? Paul says, if you would come before God with prayer, but with the qualifier, thanksgiving, with gratefulness, then God would begin to relieve those anxieties. God would be able to grant you peace. God would be able to do something. But he says it starts with gratefulness. In fact, if you want to write this down to look up later, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, it it has some really cool things, and you can memorize verses real quick. Just, Just repeat this after me. He says this, rejoice always. Say that. Rejoice always. Secondly, say this. Say, pray continually. Okay, you just memorized two verses. Rejoice always, pray continually. That's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, and he says this idea. It is God's will for your life that you be thankful. So as a pastor, I get people who come to me fairly often, and they say, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. And that's a complicated question, you know that, right? But there's some very practical things that scripture says, okay, this is the will of God. And this is one of them in 1 Thessalonians. This is the will of God for your life. Be 
thankful. So in a season like this where, where we can say, I want more, I want something else, we, even some of us adults, I won't make you admit this, but we come up with our own wish lists. So I just decided for our family what we were going to do is, kids, if you want to come up with a wish list, that's great, but I always want you to come up with a corresponding thanks list. And so for every item on that wish list, kids, I want you to start thinking about what's on your thanks list. What can you be thankful for? How can you in every moment this season say, okay, that's what I'm grateful for. I'll call those blessings out, count out those blessings and say, I want to I remind myself in a season like this what's truly the blessings that God has given us and I want to be grateful for them. Skip down a few verses to verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, Paul says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Stop right there for a second. He says, I've learned the secret of what it means to to do this. Be content. I've learned the secret to what it means to be content. Uh, A week and a half ago, our our church supports this ministry called Gap Food Bank. And every month we take huge collections of non-perishable food items. We go there. A week and a half ago, I was at the Gap taking a tour of the facility, meeting the director, seeing what was going on. And she began to tell me that this season is the toughest season they've ever had in the history of this food bank. She said, on any given week, you can go out in that line and strike up conversations. And there's the people in that line who used to have the cars. They used to have the house. They used to have the boats. They used to live in the places that we dream of living. They were the small business owners. And they've lost it all. And so Paul's saying, I I relate to those guys. Paul's saying, on the one hand, I know what it's like when the business is going good and the paychecks are good and to have it, I know what it's like to be there. And Paul says, I also know what it's like to be over here and to be in want, to be in need, to have financial needs. I know both of those. And he says, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content in any circumstances. Do you know what that is? Paul tells us in verse 13, He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He says, here's the secret of contentedness. Here's the secret of gratitude. It doesn't depend on what you have or don't have. It doesn't depend on if life is going good or bad. It doesn't depend on if your daughter's in the hospital getting bad news or your daughter's in home getting great news. It doesn't matter on your circumstance because here it is, no matter how hard life is, no matter how weighty the the burdens that you carry are, we can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. And Paul says, the secret of my gratitude, the secret of my contentment is not in my circumstances, it's in a Christ who never changes, who loves me just as I am. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's not keeping a scorecard. He's not saying, I hope those good deeds begin to outweigh those bad deeds. He's saying, you're still not going to be good enough. And guess what? Jesus was already perfect for you. So you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And this idea of being content in our culture 
It's just something that we have to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight because we all have that temptation to pick up the Sky Mall catalog or walk through the mall or go wherever to see the commercials on TV this time of year and just say, if I just had that, or oh, that would be so nice. When maybe scripture is saying that stuff won't fulfill. That stuff won't bring meaning. I mean, you guys just voted a few minutes ago yourself and you said the greatest memories for most of us in the past are memories of people and things we did together. Most of us don't even remember what we got last year. And they truly would call us like the Advent conspiracy does to spend less. To say life is not about stuff. Let's not make Christmas about stuff. And and here, I, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying don't buy anything. I'm not saying that at all. But what if you just said, I want to adopt this idea, one less gift, one less gift. And I'm going to call my family, I'm going to call friends who we normally exchange gifts, I'm going to call them and I'm going to say, this year, what if we were different and we just said, one less gift? And maybe just took that money that we would have spent on a gift and and do something good with it. I had a lady at church come up to me last weekend out at our church in California, and she said, hey, I just want to let you know, we did a great, great thing last week. We went and got a World Vision catalog, and for a gift for my friend, I bought a village in Africa, ducks. Really? I've never heard of the gift of ducks for Christmas. She said, yeah, for another one of our family members, we bought a pig for a village in Africa. Isn't that cool? Because they said, we don't need anything else. We, We don't need to keep getting and getting and getting to try to show that we love, but we really know they're going to re gift it next year anyway. So, what if we just spent less? What if we were just content with what we have? And what if we just really said, God, we're thankful, we're grateful right now for everything that you've done? That verse, I can do everything through, for, through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the way I memorized it when I was a child. That's the point here that Paul is trying to get us to say is if we would just get that, if we would just understand what that means for our lives, the power that comes through knowing Christ, that through knowing Christ, that's the only way we'll ever be truly joyful, truly at peace. That's the only way we'll ever truly have hope. And all of the false ways that in this time of year, We try to achieve that or we're promised that through Christ is the only way it will ever happen. And if we would learn the joy of being grateful and if we would understand the peace that comes with being content. The next verse that we're going to look at following verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, becomes a reality in our life. Verse 14, Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. It was good of you to share in my troubles. And Paul says, I realized this, that that whether I was doing well and successful or whether I was in great need, Christ could do anything and everything in my life. And then he says, but then you helped me too because you were sharing in my troubles. And if you go on to read, you'll talk about, it's talking about giving and receiving, that they were blessing Paul and and helping him. And and so there was this element that the Advent conspiracy just made me start thinking through this lens to say, if we would be less concerned about ourselves and less concerned about what we can get out of a season like this and spend less, we would be free to be generous to give more. 
And to say our focus becomes, as we see who Christ is and how Christ works in our life, our focus becomes less on, on, on me and mine and, and, and saying, I want to show love by giving a gift, but saying, no, no, I want to show love by making a difference and having impact. And Paul says, it was good of you to share in my sufferings that, that there's something that happens when we begin to, to say, we're not all independent. We've not been created by God to be independent on our own. We've been created to be interdependent. We've been created to help one another, to share with one another, to give, to to say, we're all in this together. Just a few weeks ago, we had one of our missionaries from Kenya over to our house for dinner on a Saturday night, and we're sitting there talking to her, and she begins to tell us about this godly Kenyan man that's a huge part of their ministry in Africa, and his name is David Tarus. And in and, and this certain area of Kenya, the HIV AIDS epidemic has just hit them so hard and, and so many people have been lost to HIV AIDS and, and there's little orphans left and so we support an orphanage just like you guys support Haruma. And so we were talking through with her, what did that mean? And she said, well, let me just give you one example. She said, David had went to this funeral of this lady who had passed away and, and the mother that had passed away had three small children. And they're crying at this funeral and and the funeral is this incredibly, incredibly heartbreaking ceremony. And the moment the funeral's over and people start going their own way, there's this obvious tension in the air that there are three kids and nobody wants them. And so David comes on the scene and David is sort of observing what is going on and they go home and they're at the living room and, and these three kids are there and everybody's sort of scratching their head like, what are we gonna do with them? And this big hulk of a man with his tender heart just bent down on the floor and he said a very simple statement. He said, kids, let's go home. Let's go home. I'm I'm your new dad. That's all he had to say. Let's go home. You're mine and I'm yours now. We're in this together. And I just thought, doesn't that sound just like something Jesus would do? Doesn't that sound just like what it means to to give ourselves, to share, to say, I know there's suffering going on, or I know there's needs, and I know there's potential, and I'm not going to let a season like this go by and me be just distracted just by what I need and my concerns, but I'm going to say, how can I make a difference? How can I help? And so Paul says, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles, to be generous, to understand the joy that comes by making a difference. Hey guys, I could, I, could be, I could be really happy with some of these gifts for like two days. And then I'd be like, ah, you know, that just didn't, just didn't do much for me. And, and there's a joy to, to waking up in Christmas morning and seeing these, these presents overflow, but we don't even remember it 11 months later. And what if for the sake of our children, what if for the sake of the next generation, what if for the sake of the kingdom of God, we said, this season, I will spend less and give more. And I'll do this by being grateful and knowing that what I have, every gift that I have is a gift God has given me. By being content and saying, what I have right now is enough And what if I did it by being generous to say, because I have enough, because I'm grateful, I'm gonna then turn my eyes to say, how can I help? How can I be a blessing? How can I make a difference? 
And my fourth thing I just want to challenge you with is very, very simple. It's just be creative. If you would be grateful and be content and be generous, then I would say in a season like this, the Advent conspiracy could call us to be creative, to sit down if you still have your kids at home with your family, make a plan, to call friends and say, how can we make a difference this season? Can we do this one less gift thing? Another idea that that I've been thinking through is the idea of presence is greater than presence. Now, I'm from the South. I can't even say those two words differently. They just sound the same. So forgive me, but here's the idea. Being with is always greater than buying stuff. Make memories. Make this season matter. Figure out ways to make your kids get their hands involved with helping and and making a difference. We've been challenging our congregation for the past few weeks. Take these passages of scripture. Take Luke chapter two. And as a family, every single night, sit down together and read the Christmas story. For a week, every day for a week, read it and then just start asking each other, what would it mean if we figured out what the Christmas story meant for us and then we lived it out? What would it mean if we did this Advent conspiracy together? Let's make a plan. And I've heard stories from all over this nation of teenagers who have these great ideas. A teenager girl had an idea for a three-on-three basketball tournament that she hosted for junior high students and every dollar that was raised went to build a water well in Africa. I, I heard about a family who sat down and they said, we're going to, as a family, make memories. We're not going to buy a bunch of Christmas presents. We're going to make them. And they began to make these decorations and presents and then they sold them. I know that's sort of weird, sold their presents, but whatever. They sold them and they made money so that they could meet a real need that someone had in their community. They said, we don't want to make it just about what we get. We want to make a difference. And maybe we would be creative enough to say presence of being together, being with one another, it's always more valuable than just buying gifts. How can we make a difference? How can we have a plan to turn Christmas upside down, to worship Christ fully, and to let the implications of who he is and what he's done for us go out to others to be a blessing? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. We, we cannot elaborate or embellish this story to make it any greater than it always, already is, that you loved us, God, enough to send your only son to die on a cross for our sins. You love us so much, God, that this baby in a manger that we celebrate is King of kings and Lord of lords, the great I am, the name that is above every name, Jesus. And I pray in a season like this, we wouldn't settle for just giving gifts and getting stuff. When you call us to worship fully, you you invite us into being a part bringing your kingdom to this earth and God by spending less and giving more we truly can discover the joys of gratitude and contentment and generosity and I pray that you would move on our hearts God to be obedient to be creative to really grasp in this season how great your love is for us and then your love and your grace would overflow from us to others to make a difference God, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.